and we are back. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Federal Workers' Count Coffee Break Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Taylor, and I am the Federal Workers' Compensation Consultant who is starting today, day one of the 27th year this old country boy has been doing workers' count. So today we're going to do a big podcast, very important, and uh, I want to go through a lot of the things that we, uh, we need to work on, but I'm going to get my coffee going. And uh, I hope that you have your coffee ready, because uh, I'm going to get mine out and I'm going to start pouring it right here. And we're going to start working on our uh, project today. This is a big one. This is the one that I get asked the most of, so this is probably the most informative and the one you're going to want to share. <sighs> now my coffee's ready. Hold on. Got to stir in my little... I like to lose a little Splenda. I know I, people make fun of me. Coffee, you know, country boy is supposed to drink coffee black, but I like my Nespresso with a little cream and the Splenda. Yep, gotten a little soft in old age. Okay, so <laughs> before we get started, let's talk about um, our podcast and our introduction. We just want to talk about as a federal workers' compensation consultant, I decided to do a free podcast. I decided to do it in this format. To educate everybody from providers to uh, patients to uh, people who are somewhere in between to assist you with whatever it is that you're going through or to share this information with others who are going through it to assist. Uh, like I said, I've been doing it for 27 years and this consultant uh, wants to do this to provide and give something back to all the people who have helped me over the years and to all the government employees that swim through bureaucracy and have to suffer through the difficulty of understanding um, Workers' Comp Federal. So we discuss all sorts of topics related to OWCP, FECA, DOL, even Longshore, and any other type of federal workers' compensation. But we do it in a short coffee break format, and we'll discuss common topics related to filing inappropriate claims, rules, provisions, your rights, your responsibility. Uh, we do it from an employer perspective, as well as a employee agency and we also talk about it from the provider and the injured workers side and as we do these provisions and responsibilities and cover these tips just understand this is just coming from years of experience uh, it's hard to be perfect and know everything and they're always changing OWCP is going through lots of changes so I had to give you the best advice the best uh, opinion and agree as much information to be accurate as I can but it's a moving target it's always evolving and so these tips I offer uh, as an educational tool. Uh, you always want to go to OWCP websites to find out more information for yourself. But we try to success, help you successfully navigate Federal Workers' Comp to assist you with your claim. So today, like I said, it's a big one. Traumatic injury. CA-1 forms establishing a new traumatic injury. This is uh, the, probably the most common. So we're going to dive right into it. I'm going to talk to you at first, giving you formal stuff that is straight off of OWCP's website so that you're able to hear it from the horse's mouth. So some of this stuff is mine and some of it will be my opinion. I'll try to state when it is that. And then some of it's going to be uh, straight off of workers' comps uh, websites, whether it's FECA, Longshore, Energy, etc. Okay, so let's dive in. When you get injured on one shift, that means that you were injured during the course of one shift, the FECA, okay, the Federal Employment Compensation Act, and OWC, Office of Workers' Compensation, DOL, etc., 
all of these divisions have forms and the, the official forms are required along with some requirements to be added on as addendums to these forms to establish a, a claim. Today we're talking about traumatic injuries. Now traumatic injuries you file them on a form, the official form called a CA-1. Now the one, I, I don't know if it's officially done this way but I've always said this, CA-1s are uh, traumatic injury forms that are established as a one-time shift injury. So it happened on one day, one shift. Occupational illnesses and disease that are on CA2 are on two or more shifts. In other words, a range of dates, at least two dates or more for occupational illness and injury. So when you're talking about a new traumatic injury claim, FICA defines traumatic injuries as a wound or other condition of the body caused by some type of external force, including stress and strains. Uh, they can be identifiable as to the time or place of the occurrence and the members of, or functions of the body affected. <clears throat> now, the injury must be caused by a specific event or incident or a series of events within a single workday or shift. That's a common mistake. People think, well, I didn't get hurt one time during the day. I, I re-injured my back several times during the day, example. Uh, it's still considered one shift, so it's filed as the CA-1. Um, it can also be a wound. It can be any other condition that's caused uh, by the injury. Uh, and it can also be mental uh, and stressful injuries, which we'll talk about later. So the Form CA-1 Notice of Traumatic Injury, I'm going to put the link up on the podcast website so that you can follow along. But it should be completed by the injured employee and the employee agency supervisor or injury compensation specialist. The front portion of the form, the CA-1 form, should be completed by you, the injured employee. Unless you're incapacitated at the time and the form may be completed by the supervisor or authorized uh, employee agency official. That happens sometimes. The injured employee has to indicate a specific date of injury and a date of notice. So there's two dates here. I got hurt this day and I notified you this day. There are occasions when those two days are not uh, incongruence. So you have to make sure if they most commonly are, but if they're not, you got to state that. A CA-1 must be submitted to the employment agency within 30 days of the date of injury, not date of reporting, date of injury, in order for the injured employee to be eligible for continuation of pay. Now, continuation of pay will be discussed in more detail further in the presentation. Not all CA-1 forms are submitted from the EA, okay, it's the employee agency, to OWCP. Follow the filing instructions on the back of the form in cases with no lost time and no medical expense, the, the COP doesn't apply. But I want you to understand that the form should be filled, uh, should be filed, I'm sorry. It must be transmitted to OWCP within 10 working days from the date that the employee agency received notice. Not necessarily 10 days from the date that the form was actually signed, okay? Know the difference. Do not delay in the submission of the completed form because it was not accompanied by additional facts or medical evidence. You want to get the CA-1 form filed as soon as possible. You can add the additional medical evidence and factual forms later, even if they take more time to complete. Review the CA-1 for completeness, ensuring that the form has been dated and signed by you, the employee, and your employer. There is a receipt of a notice that's at the bottom of it and you should get a copy of that to, so that you can prove that you've been given a CA-1 form, okay? 
verify when you're when you're in the, the doing a CA1 verify that your home address is correct in block 7 of the form because that's going to be initially where they're going to be sending you any correspondence as you're developing an ecomp online portal access your employment or agency should promptly authorize medical care on another form called CA16 this is formally called the authorization for examination or treatment and give that form um, to whoever you go to, to for medical care, okay? That form is like a blank check initially uh, because you don't have an OWCP case number, you have no uh, approval, there's nobody to verify. So this is just your employee agency giving something that you can take to any hospital, urgent care center, doctor's office and say, hey, I have been authorized to see you and this is how you present to initial providers advice okay this is important advise that whenever you're going to elect cop okay this continuation of pay you want to make sure you understand how to do it because you, otherwise they're going to use your annual or sick leave or your your lost wages earning potential or lwop if the injury is disabling now look i'm going to go over the agency responsibilities first okay it's as important the agency will notify the, the actual injured worker, that's you, of the need to submit medical evidence of a disabling traumatic injury within 10 calendar days of the disability beginning, or pay may be terminated. Now remember, there's disability and pay, and that's why I try to differentiate the two. Ensure that the OWCP agency code has been entered correctly in Block 17 of the form. Now, you want to submit evidence refuting the claim if the employment agency does not agree with the statements of the injured worker or witness. Remember, this is the employee agency side of this presentation. This is not for you. I'm just telling you what they do. This is what people that, that you work for and their agency representatives. The agency also will inform you, the employee, whether COP will be controverted and if so, whether pay will be terminated and the basis for such action. Ensure the form has been dated and signed by both you and your employee agency representative, okay? Now, there are short-form closures. I'm not going to go into great detail, but there are traumatic injuries that are administratively handled to allow payment of up to $1,500, which I think it's a little more liberal than that in recent years, in medical and expenses and payment of COP by the employment agents. These, these short-form closures are not reviewed or adjudicated by claims examiner and they have different criteria so i'm not going to go into the great great detail about that right now for shortness but um there are some information on owc's website about short form closures you can look up now back to the ca1 form and all the additional documents needed to establish a traumatic injury claim when you're filing a ca1 traumatic injury versus say a ca2 occupational illness where you got hurt over over a period of time there's two or more shifts you should first try to answer the following questions by doing a written statement of injury now there's a short form written statement that you do on the ca1 which is just a small box but then you should take a separate piece of paper and hand write it and sign it don't type it hand write it when you handwrite it and you sign it, they know it was you and it wasn't created by some lawyer or some doctor's office. Okay, and in that written statement, witness statement, you want to put the following five questions. What happened? Where did it happen? When did it happen? Why did it happen? And how did it happen? 
The injury must be caused by a specific incident, a specific event, or a series of events within a single workday or shift to be a CA1 traumatic injury. The injury must be caused by a specific event, and that can be anything from lifting something heavy to falling down. Okay, it's just, it's got to be an event or a series of events on one shift. Now, here's some common questions that you need to be thinking about when you're filling this out. First of all, what date and time did the specific event occur? Remember, the claims examiner reviewing your file has no idea what you do at your job. So don't leave it up to her perception. Explain it. Where did it happen? What was the date and time then the specific event occurred? What was the specific ex event? Explain in detail what you were doing. I was walking here. I slipped here. I fell. I, I grabbed something. Explain it all. More detail, the better. Okay, where the incident occurred, because the exact location and describing the location and why you were there, it, it goes to uh, being able to meet causation because they want to know, were you in doing the performance of job duty requirements of doing what was usual and customary work that was required? Okay, there's a performance of job duty podcast we're going to do separately that goes into great detail on this. Now, what body functions were injured? In other words, was it your back? Was it your legs, your arms? What, what was injured? Were, were, is it a post-traumatic stress, mental illness? Explain it. The most in, misunderstood injury that falls under CA1s are the series of events where you have more than one injury during the course of a day. My back started hurting in early in the day, and then later on, uh, I hurt it again, and then by the end of the day, it was killing me, and the, the last box I picked up, I, I fell to the floor and couldn't get up. So I was just getting re-injured and aggravated all day. But you got to explain that. What happened? You know, how did it happen? When did it happen? What did you injure? All that stuff's very important. Now, remember, CA1 traumatic injuries, remember to check COP. All right, it's continuation of pay. And that's part of filing a CA-1. It's a box. This means the agency will have to pay you your regular pay for the first 45 calendar days after the injury if loss of work occurs. Now, there is controversial of COP on the OWCP website. I recommend you go and read that. Just Google search it. If you answer these questions, then you should file a CA-1 form and check box A on, for continuation of pay on the form CA-1. The employee, that's you, must elect either continuation of pay, COP, or sick and annual leave in traumatic injury cases. When traumatic injury cases on the CA-1, okay, when you're filing them, it's payable up to 45 days, but with eligibility for compensation following the initial 45 days. Now, there are some agencies that do not have COP, and there are some agencies that have different forms of COP. The employee may also receive compensation, sick and annual leave, in occupational disease cases filed on CA2, but we'll talk about it in another podcast. All right, the employee, that's you, should then should ask for a CA16, which is the authorization to treat form that we talked about earlier. Now, remember a couple things about this. The employee, when you're asking the employer for a CA16 so that your doctor has guarantee of payment, that they'll see you because there's no paperwork saying you have a case number or accepted case. They have, um, they have, by rule, four hours from the time of injury to provide you that form. That's the rule. They don't give it to you when you request it. It is a violation of the rules and provisions of OWCP and the FECA Act. Now, authorization for an employee to obtain medical care or treatment from a doctor or an urgent care facility, etc. 
Uh, it's important to understand the CA-16 is your friend at your blank check when you walk in the door. So this guarantees the doctor or clinic will feel like they have a guarantee of payment. And by the way, even if you lose your case, those people's bills will be paid after the case is adjudicated. Um, and that's something to remember. Now, choice of physician, don't forget. Under the Federal Employee Compensation Act, an employee is guaranteed the right to a free choice of physician for now. Okay, I'm worried about that one. The immediate supervisor authorizing first aid for the injured employee is responsible for fully explaining the employee's right to his or her choice of physician or their facility that they choose. But you have the right to say, I'm going to go see my doctor. As long as your doctor is approved on the list of OWCP and FECA on Longshore or whatever you're applying under, then that doctor can be seen. You do not have to go to the doctor they force you to go to. The following provisions are made for this. Now, I want you to understand that the agency's medical officer or the contract physician's evaluation is not required before an employee makes an initial choice of physician. They try to push you towards someone that they want you to see. That is not a requirement. Okay, that's just a tactic. If an employee declines first aid treatment or medical evaluation by the agency medical offer or the contract physician, authorization for first aid medical exam and treatment by the physician of the employee's choice must not be delayed or denied. And I'm reading that right off of OWCP rules and provision. An employee's declination in such case may not be used as a basis to discontinue pay or to controvert a claim. Do not be told otherwise. That's straight off of OWCP statutes. All right. By the way, like I told you before, mental illness is a real thing, and anxiety, depression, post-traumatic stress resulting from accident injuries can be included as mental injuries to a traumatic injury claim. Okay, you want to put everything that's applicable. Now, the incident has to be identifiable as to the time and place of occurrence and as to the member or function that was affected, like we said before. And we talked about all the what, when, where, and why, the five questions. But the written statement for the injured employee should detail how the incident happened and list any supporting witness statements if there are any witnesses. Don't forget, if there's a statement that you can add that gives more details of it, the more information, the better. Okay? You want to list your job duties, all the details of your job duties, everything that you do. And you also want to list any outside activities such as your hobbies so that they can't try to create some... Uh, counter narrative that this ha happened as a slip and fall in your garage, for example. Now, the CA1 form must be filled out by the employer representative in the official supervisor report and the employee section. Make sure the CA1 is signed by both the employee and the employer, and don't forget that it has to be signed. Make sure the employee gets the receipt. There's a notice of receipt at the bottom of the CA1 form. This receipt's on the last page of the CA1 form, and it's titled Instructions for Completing Form CA1. This part of the CA1 should be filled out inside by the supervisor in the section titled Receipt of Notice of Injury. That's the receipt I've been referring to. Now, you have to have a copy of that receipt of the CA-1 form. That's your proof that you have a CA-1 that was completed in case it gets lost and people say, we don't know what you're talking about. And you say, wait a minute, I have a notice of receipt. That's your backup. The CA-1 form allows the injured employee up to 30 days to complete the form and still have the right to collect COP. Don't forget, okay, 30 days. The agency or employer is required to send this completed CA-1 form to OWCP within 10 working days of the employee turning in the form to the employment agencies. 
Okay. Remember, we collect CA1 forms completed by both parties and signed by both parties. That's the way OWCP claims examiners scrutinize these. We collect a written statement from the patient. Okay. We want to get a CA6 authorization to treat form. There's a CA17 return to work duty status form. And then you're going to need a medical report in the form of a medical narrative by an approved OWCP physician with a causation statement and a CA20 form filled out by the physician addressing the compensability of the injury in the CA20 form that's known as the attending physician statement. All right, now this is where you want to take notes. Okay, I'm going to teach you the ins and outs of how to be successful. Initial physician's exam from the clinic that you're at. You want to have the left side of the CA-17 form, that's your return to work form, okay, that you present. You need to have that filled out by your employing agency or your supervisor. The left side of the form, okay, is important to be filled out as to what your job requirements are. The right side is for your doctor to fill out. You have to have a CA-17 filled out immediately that as you're, you're uh, off work because that CA-17 form is how you get paid if you're off or it is how you go back to work with modified duties. It's required. The CA-1, the, the actual form that we talked about, if the patient was not informed on their first visit to bring with them. Okay, now this is, this is what I use in my office, okay? Um, if you don't have a CA-1 when you go to the doctor's office, Make sure that uh, you understand that we can require it, or request it, sorry, and that uh, the employer is obligated to, uh, to provide us one. You want to make sure that the CA-1 has been filled out as we spoke of. You want a copy of a handwritten, signed, and dated statement from you explaining the incident. And then you want the causation statement in the medical narrative of the physician's report that you chose and then you want to make sure that you've got a CA-16's authorization for treatment so that while you're pending development of your case, the doctor's office, okay, the doctor's office is going to be getting paid while they're trying to do x-rays and order labs and give you medicine. And lastly, the CA-20. So what all is involved? The attending physician statement is necessary, that's CA-20. The CA-16 authorization for treatment allows you to get to see a doctor. The causation statement has to be done in the physician's report in order to make the causality uh, minimum requirements. You have to have a handwritten sign and date statement that you provide uh, with all the questions answered that we talked about, the how, when, where, when, why, that stuff. And then the CA-1 form that you and your employing agency representative have filled out. All of these require, these are the initial paperwork that are required in order to file a traumatic injury successfully. Okay, there are initial reports from the provider on the incident. The, they're, they're, you gotta make sure that your new patient forms are all completed within the 10 day window and you wanna try to get them uploaded. They do not need to be completed all on the same day. Sometimes it'll take a week to, you know, or more to get all, all this stuff done. Uh, the doctor's office and you have the ability to upload all your documents into eComp. If your doctor does not know how to use eComp, you can upload them yourself. But I highly recommend that you also mail them the old-fashioned way to OWCP immediately as well as a backup plan. Reporting a workplace incident and filing a claim for compensation requires appropriate and different required forms. 
and you've got to get all these forms that we just mentioned together and aggregated and you got to get them in the hands of the claims examiner as soon as possible this stuff gets lost people that don't do this very often they fill up the forms wrong they make mistakes. Not all government agencies even use ECOMP. ECOMP is the portal that you can register for that's in uh, the podcast number two, where you can uh, upload all your documents and get everything to your claims examiner quickly. You can uh, register if you want to see what forms your agencies filed through ECOMP. Um, if your government or branch of service job does not utilize ECOMP, and there are some that don't, then you want to check with your employment agency for where to file the forms. I always recommend, though, to everybody that if you're filing an injury as a federal worker that falls under the jurisdiction of FECA, Federal Employee Compensation Act, I would send an old-fashioned packet of the forms that we just mentioned, and, uh, and I'd send it to London, Kentucky. Make sure that the envelope is mailed to DOLOWCP in Kentucky directly after the return appointment, usually in a week to 10 days, and it needs to have your return address. The return receipt type mail is what I recommend. That way they have to sign for it. After all that documentation is submitted, you're guaranteed that someone has the entire packet. It's just a, my thing to do as a backup. You don't have to do it. Ecomp has gotten better, but uh, there's still a lot of mistakes that happen in Ecomp. Now, once your packet has been mailed to DOL and they've gotten a notice of receipt at their home, because remember, when they sign for it, they're going to send you a receipt back to your office, or you registered through ECOMP, then you need to reach out to your uh, district office in your state, and then you, you contact and ask for your claims examiner's information. And when you find, you just explain your uh, circumstances, say you filed the claim, and say, I'd like to know who's been assigned to this case, and I need to know their name, I need to know their phone number, their email, and their fax number. That way you have a way to communicate in multiple ways. Now, the most common way is to do it through Ecom now, but I just tell you all that as a backup so that you're guaranteed success. All right. Um, I would say you're talking about anywhere from a week to three to six weeks, typically before you get a case number. It always depends on how, how successful your people are at filing the claim. So if you wish to file uh, a claim under the Federal Employee Compensation Act, okay, I recommend you do it this way. I also recommend you get on the employee dashboard on the eComp website and set up a uh, account, upload all your documents. Uh, it's important to, to understand that this is a, this is the successful way that I've been doing it and have taught others to do it for now 27 years. Okay, it's important to understand your rights and your responsibilities. Depending on your agency, you need to find out what form to file, but most people file it through a CA-1. All right, that's it. We ran a little long today. It's a lot of information that I covered. You may have to go back and replay it several times, but as usual... I want to thank all of you for joining us, and I want to uh, remind everybody that uh, if, you, uh, if you put on a badge, you put on a uniform, if you're out there delivering the mail, if you're out there protecting us, I thank you for your service. Working for the government's hard, I understand that, and uh, we couldn't do it without you. And so it's my duty and uh, what, I, what I can do to try to help you if you're unfortunately injured during the course of your job. So. 
Uh, if you need a provider, you can always reach me in Florida at 813-877-6900. If you need me to help you with your case and you're in some other state or some other area and your doctor needs help or you need help, you can always e email me at fedcompconsultants uh, at protonmail.com. I'll leave the link in the podcast. And if you uh, just need assistance, send me an email. And if you also have topics that you want to go over, then uh, I highly recommend that you uh, send me an email and ask. All right, coffee's getting cold. It's getting a little bit uh, past. We're running about eight, nine minutes over. So it's important, guys, that you understand that we do this together so that I can give you free information to get you started. I don't cover everything. It's hard to do in a short format, but it definitely gives you a great starting point. And if you need more information, you know how to reach me. Um, so, once again, thanks for joining Federal Workers' Comp Coffee Break Podcast with me, your host, Dr. Taylor. I really appreciate you joining me. And if you share this podcast with others that you think would benefit from it, this is probably one of the most important ones that we do because traumatic injuries are probably 85% of all injuries. So, thanks again. I'm going to go back and warm up my coffee. And I will see you next time on our next podcast, which I think I'm going to do occupational illness and performance of job duty. So be looking for those soon. Also, the podcast is now listed on all major podcasts. We're now on Spotify and Google and working on iTunes. So it's going to be everywhere. And I sure appreciate it when you share it with your friends. All right. Have a good day. And again, we'll see you next time. <laughs>